Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Kat. And uh, good morning, everybody. Um, it's wonderful to be back together this morning. And as we're continuing on this week, uh, this week's theme of talking about uh, the Sabbath and Sabbath rest. And uh, uh, perhaps is probably the busiest, most stressful time for many of us in this semester. And so, again, this message is one that I believe is, is timely and so needed for each of us and to look at the Sabbath in, uh, with, with fresh eyes of faith and to perhaps see it in the Word of God in ways we have not before. So we're really excited and privileged to have A.J. Swoboda back again with us for the second day in a row. Had a great time uh, yesterday morning, and then the, for those that showed up last night, great time of conversation. And um, I really want to encourage you this morning before uh, I, I do an intro for A.J. and bring him up and pray, um, to really lean in this morning. And I like to, to say, really, really have a sense of expectancy. And so even right now, if you're distracted, you have a laptop up, you have a phone out, and your, your goal this morning is to be here to do homework, um, my heart is that you're, for you is not just to shut it down for the sake of respect and for the other students around you, but to shut that down for your own sake, because I don't want you to miss what God has for you here. And to not take for granted the gift that it is to meet together in a place like this and the gift that it is to have someone like AJ here with us. And, uh, and by the way, too, and that I, I often wonder and I'm convinced that I think that those closing moments in chapel might be the moments that the Lord will meet you. So a closing time, the closing prayer is not a time for you to leave. It's a time for you to lean in. And so uh, I really want to invite us to do that this morning, and I'm excited and expecting to see what God's going to do. So um, A.J. Swoboda, uh, he heralds back from uh, Oregon, uh, born and raised there, grew up. Uh, don't talk to him about the Trailblazers game last night. It's a little sore spot. Um, but uh, he is a church planner, pastor, uh, professor, author, and uh, wrote an award-winning book called The Subversive Sabbath. Uh, a lot of the themes that he's be, been speaking on yesterday, last night, and this morning is from that book. Um, he has a wonderful wife, a seven-year-old son, loves Jesus, loves pancakes. We're going to hear about that a little bit more this morning. So please leave a warm Northwestern welcome as we welcome back with us Pastor A.J. Swoboda. And uh, let's have a handout as we pray over him and a hand up as we pray for our own hearts as well. Father, I pray that line that we just sung a little bit ago, that our faith would arise to give you our full attention. Pray that you would strengthen our dear brother, AJ, that you'd fill him now with your spirit, that his soul would be at rest even as he speaks and that he would minister and serve and speak in the freedom of the Holy Spirit. And for each of us, Lord, captivate our hearts. May we not watch the clock or a screen, but may our eyes be lifted to behold your beauty and your glory and to be captivated over your steadfast love for us. We love you. We surrender to you now joyfully. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Hey, would you, um, for a moment, just tell Justin that he's a good human being. Thanks for your hard work. Thank you. And also, I think, was it Kat? Kat, you, you got, your voice is beautiful. Thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you. Wow. Justin, how was a 
That was a really kind way of telling people to turn their phones off. Um, but little, you didn't tell them the whole truth. We've actually locked the back doors. And I actually, with a sledgehammer, came and destroyed the scanners this morning. So you can't leave. We have a scrambler in the room, so your phones don't work anymore. Welcome to my living room, baby. You ain't going nowhere. Um, actually, <laughs> that's a weird way to start my sermon. I'm going to save the most important thing I'm going to share for the very end. And I'm going to ask that you trust me that this clock right here is accurate, and then I'll be done when we're supposed to be done. So trust me with that, okay? All right. Um, I want to, this morning, uh, build on yesterday. By the way, how many of you went and bought a mango yesterday after a sermon? And went and any atheists meet the Lord yesterday as you ate a mango? And Yeah. Um, this morning, I was eating breakfast at my hotel, and I, it dawned on me. We always say the phrase, uh, he, uh, to work like the devil, right? We always say to work like the devil. We never say, no one ever says, he works like the Messiah. Um, no one ever says he works like Jesus. We always connect our work. We always connect like the, that guy, that person, that woman who works too hard with the devil. We always do that because I think subconsciously we know that at the end of the day, uh, that there's, <laughs> there, there's something that, that's wrong in our, our life. Like we work too much. We, I, I, lo- I love, by the way, in Genesis 1 and 2, we talked about that yesterday, that God rested on the seventh day. I love this image of God resting on the seventh day. When God makes the world, God rests on the seventh day. He rests with Adam and Eve. God takes a day to be with Adam and Eve. I love that when Jesus dies on the cross on Good Friday, resurrects on Sunday, on Saturday, the seventh day, what does God do again? Jesus rests in a grave. Isn't it interesting that when God creates the world, God rests on the seventh day, and when God recreates the world in Jesus' name, God rests again on the seventh day. It's almost like every time God wants to get something done, he takes a nap. And there's a principle in that. And the principle is this, is that God's rest is always more effective than man's work. God does more in his rest than we can ever do in our work. Let's pray. God, this morning, as we read the scriptures, as we think about this idea of rest and Sabbath, would you convict our hearts to move now from believing maybe that the Sabbath is awesome and good to actually doing it? Help us to rest the way God did on the seventh day. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start with a verse. Uh, th- this is um, from Romans chapter 13. This is actually one of, I, I think, maybe one of my favorite sections in the entire Bible. Paul, who's writing this, this, this letter to a church in Rome, uh, in chapter 13 is talking about uh, the end of the world. He's, he's talking about Jesus coming back. He's talking about the reconciliation of all things, uh, the, the end times. He's talking about this, this, mo- this, mo- this culminating moment in history where Jesus is going to come back and make all things right. And Paul, when, when he writes this, this little section in, in Romans chapter 13, he, he's kind of riffing on, on all these different uh, things that we should be thoughtful about, right? And he's, in these last days, he says, don't give yourself to sexual immorality. Uh, he says, be, be pure people. 
Uh, he talks about prayer. He says, in these last days, give yourself to prayer and, and submission to God. And then he makes this comment. This, if you've ever read Romans 13, you maybe come across this line and been like, what in the world does that mean? And he says in verse, verse, verse 14, he says, I want you to clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus. And do not think about how to gratify the desires of the sinful nature. He says, clothe yourself with Christ Jesus. What an interesting image. What does it mean? Do any of you have any designer clothings named Jesus Christ? How do you wear Jesus? You know, in the early church, this is interesting, this image of wearing Christ actually in the early church was a really important one. Uh, for the first 300 years, this is kind of creepy, for the first 300 years of the church, when somebody would become a Christian, you know, maybe many of you were baptized at one point in your life. I would hope that you have been. And for most of us, when we do baptisms now, we go down to this really uh, kind of lukewarm baptismal tank, and we wear what looks to be kind of a choir uniform. We're wearing white, like this white angelic choir uniform thing. And they dunk you in this water. It's usually very gross water. I got baptized. I got a rash after my baptism. So, it was a very troubling experience. I'm very grateful for salvation in Jesus, but the, the rash lasted for like four months. Um, right? So what we do is we put these white clothes on, you go down to this, this, this tank, and, you, and when you think about it, for the first 300 years of the church, that was actually not the way we did baptisms. The, the, for the first 300 years, if we had any church history people in the room, they'd be quick to point out that for like 300 years when somebody became a Christian, what you would do is you go down to the river. They would take you down to the river after sometimes two, three-year process of learning about the faith. And you, you wouldn't, they, they didn't have choir uniforms for you to wear back then. They would literally take all your clothes off. You would be, you would be completely naked. And they would baptize you in, in a river. It gives a whole new, whole new meaning to your birthday suit, right? Uh, on, on the day of knowing that you're saved in Jesus, you are naked in the river. And the reason they would do that is there's one reason why. They would do that because to be naked in, in your baptism was to remind you that in Jesus, you were back to the shamelessness of the Garden of Eden when you were naked before God. And that's a beautiful image. I'm profoundly grateful that we don't do the naked baptism thing anymore. But the image was to clothe yourself in Christ was to be back in the shamelessness of Jesus. When I think about disciplines, when I think about putting on the things of Christ, when I think about putting on love, when I think about putting on the things of God, when I, put, when I think about putting on, as Paul says, putting on love, that, that you wear it like clothing, you put forgiveness on, that's actually what a discipline is. A discipline in the Christian faith is that when you take, when you fast, when you read scripture, when you, when you pray, when you keep a day of rest, that you're doing a discipline, you're putting it on, even if it doesn't fit right, and that by doing it, it actually transforms who you are. When, when I was in graduate school, I had a, a, a really nerdy British a church historian by the name of Dr. Dan Bruner who went to Oxford. His, the guy that he studied under was like C.S. Lewis's best friend. And my friend Dan Bruner, he was a classic like British trained theologian, right? He always had, I don't know why this is the case, but British, like, like people with PhDs from Britain, always have the, the jacket, but they always have to have leather right here. And they always wear loafers and he had a bow tie. Yes. 
And I said, I, I, I took his class and I said, I want, this. it was the best class I've ever taken. He, he, he blew my mind and I remember him. I remember going to him and saying, Dr. Bruner, this is the best class I've ever taken. I want to be like you. I want to teach. How do I do it? So I'm sitting in his office and, he, and I'm thinking he's going to say, go get a PhD. You got to get really smart, learn all the languages. And he said this, he says, you want to be a teacher? And I said, I want to be a teacher. And he says, there's one thing you got to do. And I said, what do I have to do? And he said, you got to get a bow tie. Yes. And I said, what are you talking about? I have to wear a bow tie? I'm not 60 yet. And he's like, nope, you got to get a bow tie. And I said, why? And he said this, he said, if you want to think like a teacher, you got to start dressing like a teacher. When Paul says, clothe yourself in Christ Jesus, he's saying, if you want to have the heart of Jesus, you got to put on the things that Jesus did. you got to put on love. That's what I want to talk about, is I want to talk about putting on the Sabbath. I want to talk about wearing, putting this on, because it's not easy. It's not something that just comes naturally. How do we put it on? How do we do this discipline? What would it look like one day a week for us to stop, be with God, be with each other, eat great food, and come once again face-to-face -face with our Creator? I want to answer a couple questions this morning. The first thing that, that I, want to, I want to mention to you is this. If yesterday really provoked you, if this idea of rest really speaks to you, the first thing you got to think about is this. You got to actually plan to rest. There's, there's actually a really big principle here. It actually takes a lot of work to rest. It doesn't just happen. You have to, if you want to rest, you want to be a person that knows how to stop and rest and be at peace, you've got to plan for it. You've got to fight for it. Two things. I have never, ever, ever met anybody ever once who accidentally kept a Sabbath. Never met anybody who was like, I don't know what happened. I woke up this morning and I was just with God all day and it was just perfect and I was at rest and at peace. That's never happened in human history. Nobody accidentally keeps a day of rest. And the second thing is I've never been anybody who used to Sabbath. Friends, when you start doing this, it changes your life. And you're like, you take one day and then you're like, how can I get to like five days a week of Sabbath? And then you get fired, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> But the point is, I've never met any, ever met anybody who used to do it, and I've never met anybody who accidentally did it. You have to fight for it. You have to think about it. You have to plan for it. In fact, the Jews, this is really interesting, the Jews had this principle. One of the dumbest things I ever did was preach through the book of Numbers for nine months. And when you read, the, it was the driest, driest sermon series I've ever preached out of, because the whole thing's about a desert. No wonder it was dry. It was a crazy experience. But the whole thing in the book of Numbers is that God says, I want you guys to rest one day a week, but you've got to do this thing called the day of preparation. You've got to get ready for it. The day before the day of rest, you've got to get your work done. You've got to feed the chickens more. You've got to collect some extra food. You've got to get all the work done, pay your bills, mow the lawn. They didn't have that in the desert, but we do. And you've got to get all that stuff done. And then you rest on the next day. And the principle is of the day of preparation that in order to rest, you've got to plan for it. It doesn't just happen. And so when you think about the day of rest, you've got to think ahead, like, okay, so what day could it be? Who do I need to tell? I actually had a friend once who decided to do, start doing the Sabbath, but he didn't tell anybody that he was going to do the Sabbath. And so one day a week, he turned his phone off, but he turned his phone off. This first day he was Sabbathing, he turned his phone off and went on a long hike, and he was like a textaholic. And because he didn't tell anybody, he was turning his phone off. Literally, people thought he went up on a mountain, got lost, they called the people, and they had to go like search for him up the mountain. He just went for a two-hour hike. 
They were just worried. We live in a world now where you can't even be unavailable without people thinking you died. You gotta think about this, and you gotta tell people, I'm gonna be gone. You're gonna text me on this day, and I'm gonna be like the worst friend in the, more, the world. And you gotta have auto replies on your email saying, thanks for your email, I'm not responding today, goodbye. Nicer than that, but you gotta, like, auto replies. You gotta, like, plan ahead, right? What day do you do it? This is a really big question. You're students. It would be very bad on your grades if you decided, yeah, uh, Tuesday is, is, my, is my Sabbath, and your professor's like, well, you've got class on Tuesday, and you're like, well, I'm obeying the Lord. They'd be like, that doesn't work for me because I have jobs for you to do. And then your, your grades are going to suffer, and then I'm going to get emails. So you got to think about this stuff. And here's what I would think about. I would think about what is one 24-hour period a week? Could it be Saturday? Could it be Sunday? Could it be two half days? That where you think ahead and you go, okay, this could be a day that potentially I stop. I know yesterday I was asked by a number of students, well, does it have to be Saturday? Does it have to be Sunday? And by the way, if it has to be Sunday, I'm a pastor. If it has to be Sunday, I'm toast. Because there has never been a day in Christian history where a pastor has finished at church on Sunday and afterwards been like, that was a refreshing experience. It's hard work. It's very challenging. And so it can't be Sunday for me. For me, it's got to be a different day. There's actually two really important texts in the Bible that deal with this. Romans 14, where Paul says, one man considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike, but each one should be fully convinced in their own mind, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. What Paul is saying is he's saying, if you think that Saturday is the special day, then let it be. Colossians 2, 16 says, therefore, don't, don't let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. What I think he's saying there is he's saying he's freeing you from living a life of shame that it has to be a certain day here's the principle friends if the sabbath makes you feel shame shame is work you're breaking the sabbath no shame on the sabbath if for you it's saturday praise the lord let it be saturday if it's sunday let it be but the goal friends is one day in seven that one day a week we stop you got to think about this if you're going to Sabbath. What do, you, what do you do when, like, stuff comes up on the Sabbath? Like, what do you do when there's an emergency on the Sabbath? What do you do when your friends say, hey, let's get together and do something fun? Here's what's awesome about the Bible. It's right. Jesus talked about this. It's like Jesus knew what he was doing. Do you remember when Jesus taught on this? He says, hey, if it's the Sabbath day and your ox falls in the ground, how many of you have had this happen to you on the Sabbath? Anybody in the room have had an ox fall on the ground? And you're like, I don't know what to do with this day. No, you don't have that. You haven't had that experience. But Jesus said, if an ox falls on the ground, what do you do? He says, it's better to rescue the ox than not. Why? Because it's better to give life than to take it. Jesus actually gave us this principle. What happens when things come up on the Sabbath? Here's what's important. We've got to distinguish between what a Sabbath emergency is and what a Sabbath nuisance is. An emergency is this. It was on a Sabbath day that my grandfather had a heart attack. It was on our Tuesday, which is the day that we take our Sabbath, and my grandfather had a heart attack and died. And my family had to drive over or find me to tell me. And on that day, listen to me, friends, when somebody has a, a heart attack, when, somebody, when there is an emergency, you stop what you're doing, and you go and be a Christian. And you go and love the people that need to be loved. 
But that is very different than taking your Sabbath day to respond to all of the emails and to respond to all the requests and all the things that may come your way. That's a nuisance. How do you know the difference between a Sabbath emergency and Sabbath nuisance? I'm going to teach you a trick here. It's called prayer. And what you do is you go, Jesus, okay, am I supposed to do this thing? This is an emergency. This is a nuisance. Should I do it? You're going to pray. And Jesus is going to do this. He's going to go, yes. Or he's going to go, no. And then you're just going to listen to it. Okay, it's called prayer, and it turns out it works. So let God speak to you. So things will happen on this Sabbath. But I, I think the most important question, and I'm going to guess that this is the one that you're thinking about the most, is, well, what do I actually do on the Sabbath? Which is the most repeated question that I get about the Sabbath. What do I do on the Sabbath? Which I would say is such an American question. We don't even know how to think about a day of rest without thinking about what we're doing. What do I do on the Sabbath? Well, I want to give you a picture of what we do. I want to tell you what we do. And I'm, I'm going to tell you this story, and I hope that this gives you a template, a picture, an image of what it could look like for you. So my family, about 10 years ago, uh, after I had a pretty big burnout experience in ministry, I was a, a 26-year-old college, college-age pastor at the University of Oregon, and I was working somewhere between 80 and 90 hours a week. And I had a full-on burnout experience. I remember the day that I burned out. Uh, it was the morning. It was, all, it was a long progression, but I had been working, working, working nonstop. New marriage, working nonstop. I had no boundaries. I got this phone call in the morning from one of my students, and I had missed an appointment because I was so exhausted. And she called and left this really, really passive-aggressive message and said, how can you call yourself a pastor when you miss appointments? And I just remember, do you guys remember flip phones? Remember that? I remember taking, I had my flip phone, and I just took, the awesome thing about flip phones is you can do this. I just took my flip phone, and I just broke it over my knee. You can't do that with iPhones. It really is harmful on, on your knee when you try to do it. But I took my flip phone, and I, and I threw it, and I just threw it against the wall. And I'm not a very strong guy, so it was more like, kind of like that. But I, I, <laughs> I threw it to the wall. And I said, I, and I turned to my wife, and I said, I said, if this is ministry, if this is what ministry is, then I am done. And, and it was God's sheer grace that day. I had been reading this book by one of my favorite theologians, and he talks about the Sabbath. And he talked about this one day a week where he and his wife would go on a hike and they would read a psalm together and they'd have a, a, a picnic up in the hills and they, they would have one day where they didn't answer emails or letters or phone calls and they just were with God and with each other and they ate good food and they went fishing. And I was reading that and I, my heart was like, that is he heaven. And my wife and I looked at each other and we said, we have to start doing that. So we started. We've been doing the Sabbath for about 10 years, and somewhere 10, 10 12, 12 years, somewhere in there. And we've developed this rhythm, and I want to tell you what we do. It's on, on Tuesday. So our Sabbath is on Tuesday. Some of you, some of the really smart people in the room will be like, well, it's Tuesday. You're breaking the Sabbath to talk about the Sabbath. And I'll be like, you're smart, and you should get extra chapel credit for that kind of observation. But it turns out next week, I'm going to take two days to be with my family to make up for this week because I knew I was going to be here. But on Tuesdays, this is what we do. On Monday evening, I come home. And the first thing I do when I come home on Monday evening is 
we have this, this like sort of nerdy tradition that, that, that we have what we call our Sabbath candles. And actually, Jews across the world have been doing this for centuries. But this, we, we do it because I think this is a beautiful image. And what we do is we have these candles, and I come home, and my son always is so excited for the Sabbath. So he's usually, he's seven, he's usually like lit them and blown them out like ten times before I come home. So he's like, and I, just, but he, and I come home, and we light the Sabbath candles together. And then we do family devotions together. We read the scripture, we pray, we take communion as a family. We pray for each other. And then we sing this song. It's so nerdy. But we sing this song. It's called the Shabbat Shalom. And it's, and it's just this old, old, old song where you, you sing Shabbat Shalom, which means Sabbath peace, and you name everybody in the family. So you, we'll go, Shabbat Shalom to AJ. Shabbat Shalom to Quinn. Shabbat Shalom to Elliot. And then my son, the seven-year-old, he always starts like Shabbat Shaloming like other stuff. So we've got chickens. So Shabbat Shalom to the chickens. One, t- one time he goes, Shabbat Shalom to the refrigerator. <laughs> two weeks ago, <laughs> this was two weeks ago, Shabbat Shalom to my dirty clothes. So, I mean, it's so tender, because he, I mean, he's just like Sabbath-piecing the whole, the whole, like, household. So we, we sing the Sabbath song, and it's, it's nerdy. I mean, we're all kind of, like, smirking at each other when we're doing it. Like, are we still doing this? And we still do it. It's just so beautiful. And that evening, uh, we go to bed, and, and we sleep. It's just, do you remember, do you remember that feeling of the first day of summer? When you know that you've got three months to yourself and, and it's just like, it's just like nothing can stop you. It's like, uh, there is something about the night before the Sabbath that it just feels like the day before summer. And you know you've got the next 24 hours and nothing's going to get in the way. And we, so we go to bed. And in, in the morning, we... we this is, this is the most important part of the Sabbath breath. I'm going to tell you this, and it's a secret. Okay? Don't tell anybody else, but I'm going to tell you this. It's going to change your life, and you're going to do it, and it's going to literally transform your life. It's on the morning of the Sabbath. Everybody sleeps in, and no alarms. It's the morning of the Sabbath. And in the morning, my son is always the first one up. And so he comes up the stairs, we live up, up, upstairs, and he comes up the stairs, and he gets right down next to the bed, and he gets right into my face, this happens every week, he just gets right into my face, and he goes, he goes, Papa, Papa, it's the And his breath is just demonic, right? It's just like, <laughs> cast that out, you know? Like, <laughs> because it's the Sabbath. So I'm, I'm like, I'm awake. <laughs> and I, and I, in the morning, on the Sabbath, my, my wife gets to sleep in. So I get up with Elliot, and we go downstairs. And we have this liturgy. We do this every week. We get up, 
on the Sabbath, and we go downstairs, and he knows exactly what we're going to do. He doesn't even have to think about it. He goes into the, he goes into the, the cupboard, and he gets the big bowl. I go into the, to the pantry. The flour's really high, so I have to get that and the sugar. And my son and I just sit there, and we make the biggest pancakes you've ever had in your life. We put the bacon in the oven. You always bake bacon. It's in the name. It's literally built into the name. And the coffee is going. By this point, the, the wife smells it. She's sort of floating downstairs. And she's like, what is this scent of heaven downstairs? And my son and I, and he just makes, he makes the biggest. I mean, these pancakes are like this big. It's like, it's all gooey on the middle because you can't cook through the whole thing. The thing is just massive. And we put chocolate pan, he puts chocolate chips in it. And we make these pancakes. And we sit at that table and we stuff our face with fat and carbs. And we do it for one reason. And this is why you're going to do it. Why you're going to start eating pancakes and eating bacon and making coffee. It's for one reason. There's an old story. There's an old Jewish story that on the morning of the Sabbath, the father's job was to get up before any of the kids and get the children all a spoon of honey so that the children would never forget the sweetness of God's rest. We don't do honey, we do maple syrup. <laughs> it's applicable, it counts, and we eat it. And the goal is literally in 50 years, when I am dead and gone, if anybody even whispers the word Sabbath to my son, he will just start to drool. Who said Sabbath? <laughs> because God, friends, made you to have a day of pancakes. God did not make you to work like the devil. God made you to work like the Messiah and live in his grace and mercy. And we are such workaholics. We have forgotten the sweetness of God's rest. God is calling out to you. Well, I want you to try this too. I want you on that Sabbath day. I got three minutes. Stay with me. Don't leave. The doors are locked. <laughs> I want you one day a week. I want you to take this thing. How many of you have one of these things? God have mercy on your souls. I want you to take this thing and one day a week, I'm going to teach you something. One day a week, I want you to try something. There is a button up here. And I want you, all I want you, just try this. Hold it down for like five seconds. It's crazy, right? Five seconds, and here's what's going to happen. It's going to turn off. But don't worry, the people that made this little thing made it so that when you turn it off, it flashes an apple with a bite taken out of it, like you're back in the Garden of Eden or something. <laughs> and that you've been eating from the wrong tree all week long? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah. 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 You know why? Because church, Jesus followers, we are more faithful to this than we are to Jesus Christ today. And I want to say to you, we need a day a week where we stop obeying this and we start listening to God. 
We are wondering, why doesn't God ever speak to me? God is so silent. You want to know why? Because this is all we do with our life. We just walk around doing this. All day. Even old people are doing it. They're just slower. They're like. Everyone is doing it. And I'm going to tell you right now, God did not make you to be a slave to this. You are a servant of the almighty God. And you need a day to remember that. I told you I'd be done when I told you to, when I said I would. Here's what I want to invite you to. What if you had one day a week where you could simply stop being a slave to everything and just come back to Jesus? One day. You know what's awesome is the Bible says heaven is Sabbath every day. There will be pancakes at the feast of the Lamb. God is calling you. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. As we talked about pancakes and bacon, it's kind of funny, but at the same time, God, you have called us to drool and yearn for your kingdom. And I pray, God, that these young people in this last two weeks, three weeks, would find a day, just a day, one day, this week, next week, to just eat some pancakes, turn their phone off, and be with each other and be with God. Go with them. Be with them, God. Anoint them with the Holy Spirit. Go before them, lead them, and guide them. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Friends, as my grandmother would say, make good choices. <laughs>